Good afternoon and welcome to Ensuring an Optimal User Experience for Patients, Remote Clinicians, and Other Employees, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Thousand Eyes, part of Cisco. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program. Nice way to view the screen. Click on the top center, get it in side-by-side mode. Then you can adjust the divider to get the slides in the video boxes the size you want them. And it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to have our main panel discussion featuring Jim Brady, VP of Information Security and Infrastructure and Chief Information Security Officer with Fairview Health Services. Miles Angel, Director, INT Infrastructure and Operations with Bay State Health. And Gordon Groschel, Director of Infrastructure and Cybersecurity with Texas Children's Hospital. A little bit about our sponsor before we get started. Thousand Eyes delivers performance visibility from every user to every application over any network, enabling you to successfully migrate to the cloud, modernize your WAN, and deliver exceptional digital experiences for your patients and employees. Thousand Eyes works with leading healthcare organizations to ensure an uninterrupted experience for patients and employees accessing critical services and applications over the internet. For more information about their capabilities, you can visit thousandeyes.com forward slash solutions forward slash healthcare. All right, let's jump right in and get started. Uh, Jim, why don't you start us off? Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Sure, Anthony, um, and welcome everybody to the the webinar. Uh, Jim Brady, I'm the uh, Chief Information Security Officer and uh, VP of Infrastructure Operations and Security at uh, uh, M-Health Fairview. Um, We're comprised of 12 hospitals, real quickly, about 56 primary care clinics, 36 pharmacies serving the uh, Twin City uh, area uh, in the state of Minnesota. Uh, We also have a a fairly new partnership with the University of uh, Minnesota Medical School and the University of Minnesota Physician Group. Uh, so where we do a lot of uh, tertiary and quaternary complex care in uh, um, uh, a, a, a pretty fair amount of work that goes on with our inpatient and outpatient uh, visits uh, in our pharmacy uh, unit. Uh, we have just as a quick, just a quick update, vaccinated 29,000 of our healthcare workers, uh, 27,000 first dose, 50, uh, 56,000 patients so far. So we're doing a lot of work with uh, COVID vaccines. And so anyway, excited to be here and join in the discussion. Thank you, Jim. Looking forward to it. Miles? Hi, good morning. My name is Miles Angel. I'm the Director of Infrastructure and Operations for Bay State Health in Massachusetts. So we are in Western Massachusetts, a system of about five hospitals and around 90 ambulatory practices along with a reference lab. We've got just as a population about 3,000 people that had to go remote at the beginning of this and about 9,000 that stayed on site. So I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation and looking forward to the discussion. Excellent. Thank you, Miles. Gordon? Yeah, good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Gordon Rushville. I'm the Director of Infrastructure and Cybersecurity uh, of Texas Children's Hospital. 
Um, Texas Children's Hospital is the largest pediatric uh, institution in the United States. Uh, we're located in Houston, Texas, and uh, provided uh, services uh, to the Houston community and now even uh, beyond Houston uh, to Austin uh, since 1950s. And we currently have um, three hospital uh, buildings and over 120 community locations uh, in terms of pediatric facilities, health centers, uh, and where we support our community. Very good. All right. Uh, next question, Miles, let's start with you. Describe the shift to remote work that COVID necessitated for employees and the shift to remote patient visits it necessitated using telehealth. Tell us about what issues you faced and how you dealt with them. Sure. So uh, I think we can all remember, I think it was March 13th or 14th. We went from, hey, everybody uh, take a day off to we're going to keep this going. Uh, Bay State at that time had probably 300 people, maybe 600 who on a regular basis remotely worked. Uh, and we, like I said, moved about 3000 people off site. So we had to use what we had available to us at that moment, which was RDP and Citrix. We have a uh, virtual desktop environment that we have, but not near sized enough for everybody to go remote. So one of the biggest things was actually communicating the when and who would be working remote, right? There was a significant aspect of trying to figure out who could go and actually get their job done as many of our managers and leadership weren't familiar with remote working. Uh, practices. So that was uh, probably a good two weeks of time working through that. Uh, you know, equipment's been a, a huge aspect of it, right? Making sure folks have the workstation they need or the device they need. We still have uh, folks using personal devices to access our virtual desktop environment, which, you know, we'd, we'd like to do more or less of rather um, and, and give them the tools that they need. As we've turned on the, the world of telehealth that introduced a whole new problem. Headsets and cameras were probably the biggest uh, challenge to get our hands on. Most people did not have a camera. Nearly nobody has gotten a headset even still, right? Web, lots of these things are yelling at webcams uh, and, and trying to make sure that that experience is, is proper. So uh, equipment procurement was huge, getting it distributed out to folks. And, and we've actually, I think, transitioned to between two or three different telehealth platforms through this time and, and actually looking to bring a third televisit platform that's more integrated with our EMR on in the next couple of weeks. But it is uh, unfortunately stalled because of some of our other, you know, intricacies with our default browsers and things of that nature. So it's all interconnected. Uh, and it, it's a matter of trying to figure out which one's going to give us the, the biggest return on patient satisfaction and making sure our providers are able to do their work. And those telehealth platforms are you adding you're using multiple at the same time or you're switching from one to the next to the next? You know, at the beginning of this, we were, you know, working with a couple different things, right? So in providing medical care, uh, we use the Amwell telehealth platform, but we were seeing with the distancing that we had to have with our patients, you know, trying to make it so that patients could communicate with their families became a, a pretty big priority. So Early on, we used a program called Jitsi. We had Zoom meetings. We've had WebExes. We saw folks using FaceTime just to make it so that patients can continue to meet with their families and give them that equipment, right? Um, you know, cellular coverage, Wi-Fi coverage, you know, was, you know, topics of conversation early on and trying to make it so that, you know, what's the standard, right? You know, we've got a fairly large footprint and uh, everybody was doing the best they could to get 
you know, through the day and, and through the weeks. And, you know, as we were trying to move folks off site, we were also trying to make sure that that patient in-person experience was going to be okay. So uh, we're moving to the next version of Amwell. So it, it's not that we're abandoning it, but we are trying to consolidate the types of tools that we're using in the patient rooms so that it's kind of a, you know, this is the way we do it, uh, as opposed to this is the way we do it on this nursing unit. Right, right. Very good. Gordon? Yeah, uh, I think uh, I can echo some of the items that Miles already mentioned. Um, I think uh, from a text assurance perspective, we started actually uh, preparing for uh, remote work and uh, late in February. So Texas Children's, you know, uh, um, put together a task force that was comprised of HR, uh, physicians uh, and information technology uh, leaders to kind of, you know, start discussing, you know, what exactly do we do if we have to move remote. A um, couple of good things that happened there is we we were able to basically uh, build on existing building block blocks in terms of solutions that we already had, right? So similar to what Miles just said, right? So we had Citrix for remote access for, you know, via RDP. We have VDI that was uh, used and we have VPN solutions that, you know, we had in place. And so what we did is we basically prepared an expanded capacity, right? To support, you know, the various groups. I think where we started, uh, where it got complex is the logistics, right? Who can go home when, right? There was a lot of, you know, processes that needed to be put in place, you know, from an HR side to really, you know, manage the logistics of um, moving thousands of people offsite, giving them the right access, you know, to the remote tools, making sure that they, you know, understand what the step is to enable multi-factor authentication, right? Security is very important that everybody has MFA enrolled. So we had to do a whole campaign around MFA, making sure that everybody's ready to go, that when we pull that trigger, Right, that we minimize um, uh, the impact to our end user community. Um, one thing that worked well for us was really, you know, we put together when we got close to the pulling the trigger, we had a command center stood up with a follow, and we followed a Scrum Agile methodology to really uh, start implementing very fast, you know, these types of uh, processes and solutions and iterate on top of them to kind of keep, you know, just you know, stay ahead of what the organization was trying to do. Um, on the telehealth side, uh, when we started that journey, we didn't have telehealth. It was an interesting thing, right? So Texas Children's, you know, was just thinking about telehealth and uh, we had basically, uh, I don't know, like 50 user licenses for telehealth, right? It was a completely isolated, you know, solution that was used in one unit. And uh, so where we struggled a lot, uh, was again compatibility, right? Different browser versions, you know, across the whole organizations that do different things, that behave differently. Um, you know, the telehealth solution that we're using uh, was in the beginning, you know, there was a learning curve to that. You know, physician training was a problem. We didn't have the right uh, physician support structure in place to basically translate business processes that they're doing in, you know, in a unit into basically a remote consult, right? Um, you know, there was a lot. Of, so the problems were almost more like on the operation side than on the technical side, right? So the technology was in place fairly quickly. 
right? Uh, using cloud and on-premise, uh, like a hybrid model, we were able to scale up very quickly. Uh, but again, getting the organization then to adjust their business processes, right? And in some cases, you know, you know, there's paper that changes hands and all of a sudden there's nobody to hand the paper from one person to another, right? That caused a lot of issues and, and actually more work than anything else. Very good. Very good, Jim. All right. Yeah. I mean, our, our experience is very similar to uh, Miles and Gordon. So I'm not going to, you know, repeat all, uh, all the stuff. They, they said a lot of great stuff. So I think maybe just to highlight a couple of things, uh, we didn't have the right uh, internet bandwidth. Uh, we switched uh, to a cloud-based VPN, which uh, for the managed laptop makes it really easy. You just pop open the laptop, boom, you're connected. Uh, we did have some BDI, uh, but uh, not it wasn't really ready to roll. So, but anyway, I think I think that kind of really helped our staff, which we have about 800 folks in the IT staff. So, you know, instantly just add water, boom, we're working from home. So that's, you know, so I think we've heard a lot of stories. I've read a lot, listened to a lot of webinars that just, you know, many health systems and organizations that had to make that switch in a week or two. Uh, so I think we did pretty good. I think there were issues with just, you know, working from home, which I think maybe we'll talk about with some of the other questions. But, you know, like some people, uh, some of us have, you know, an extra room. But others, you know, they're working in their kitchen, their kids are, you know, on Zoom and they're doing all kinds of, you know, there's a whole host mm -hmm. of things that make that home office like more challenging. <clears throat> and then just missing your colleagues at work and things, uh, just, you know, going for, it's a different way of working. Some people just, you know, oh yeah, I love working from home. This is great. Other people are like, you know, I don't want to be home. I want to be at work. Uh, so there's, you know, I think there's a lot we can talk about there. I think we all have really interesting experiences, but, you know, with a big staff, it's going to vary. Um, I think it helped us to go to uh, Microsoft uh, M365. So the more more cloud we had um, already previously entered into, I think that really you know, helped us because uh, that that works a little bit better when you're when you have a lot of people that are not at the corporate environment. Uh, clinical staff, I, I know. Now I came to M Health Fairview around April, end of April. So some of this I, I had to kind of ask folks so I could be prepared. So I wasn't actually here at the time, but. Uh, but there were, you know, there were issues with just how do you do a video visit from home? Uh, you know, I, I spent a, a number of years with Kais Permanente and the telehealth, they did a lot of work in telehealth, but the clinicians, you know, were doing it from their office for the most part. So they had mm -hmm. everything there. It was, you know, uh, you know, the equipment was good. It was working. So I think there was just challenges there. And when you're not using VDI, you know, there's the file transfer problems. And we did have multiple, uh, you know, telehealth products, Amwell, Zoom. We're, we're affiliated with the University of Minnesota, so they, they kind of use uh, Zoom as their preferred um, uh, solution. And of course, proximity. Uh, so uh, yeah, but another interesting thing uh, I think is really interesting is even though we've been closing buildings and you know reducing our footprint for facilities, uh, you know, we've actually opened up, uh, for us, we have 40,000 employees. We've opened up 40,000 remote offices. So it's kind of interesting <laughs> to think, you know, are those, all the stuff we do to secure a remote office, I mean, a office now, multiple layers of security and double checking this and that, we're not actually doing that. So so I think um, I think we made it through our budgets, you know, uh, I mean, our projects shrunk considerably. So we just had very focused things that we were doing. So I think that helped considerably when you're not doing 5,000 projects, you know, you can get a lot done. 
for the, in the businesses, wow, you guys are superstars in IT. And we have a lot of heroes at ML Ferry for doing, you know, courageous work like many of our uh, employees at, at our health systems. I like that you open 40,000 new offices, right? Really? This is essentially what it is, right? It is. I mean, there's a lot to be said about that, uh, you know, particularly on the security side, but just even with, uh, you know, having equipment that works and, uh, you know, most people now have good solid bandwidth, um, you know, with 5G coming soon and gigabit to the house and things. I think, you know, we're, we're in a better state than if we had tried this, you know, 10 years earlier. But, uh, you know, I think there's a lot that we could now <clears throat> go back and look now that everybody's working from home. You know, how, like, what do we want to do to secure and minimize risk and just make sure we have good performance uh, so, you know, hopefully we're all looking at that. Very good. All right. Next question, Gordon, we're going to start with you. How is your team able to diagnose and remedy issues as quickly as possible? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, so historically, when everybody was still in the office, right, the, you know, the conversations were you know, easier in the sense that, okay, you were monitoring the data center, right? You were monitoring the network, right? And uh, most problems, right? You would kind of trace them back to a workstation, right? Like when it's reported. Now enter this world of uh, remote work, right? And all of a sudden these, these standard processes that are tried and true and have been used for many, many years are now basically uh, obsolete, right, or even challenged, right, because you're dealing with all these variables. Well, you know, what connection connection method are you using, right? Is this like is this cable? Is it you know dial up? Is it is it your phone that you're hotspotting, right? Um, and then which access method are you using? Is it Citrix? Is this BDI? Is it a VPN, right? So uh, you you have a a much more diverse, let's say. Uh, um, service portfolio that you need to support. And with that, obviously, uh, you need to adjust your processes. So, so what we did is um, we invested a lot of work into uh, really ironing out our um, troubleshooting methodology at the service desk, right? So we put together a lot of knowledge articles around um you know what questions need to be asked right like we gave basically the service desk call with like run books right and so like okay when somebody calls okay first step is check the location is that person in the office is it remote right uh and then if it's remote okay these are the things we want you to check we, and these are the things that we want you you know to verify to really kind of uh, hone in on the problem right and and, and for you know isolate the issue, right? And then uh, we also uh, put together, we have a, um, a we use Teams, uh, which was one of the things that got introduced with COVID, right? Like before COVID, we were used, you know, we used Teams for our IM, you know, internally, but now it became like this, this multi-platform, you know, for conferencing, chatting, and storage of information, et cetera. So we created a, a Teams channel where basically the service desk, uh, is interacting with level two engineers that are cross-functional, right? So that includes network, you know, security, platform engineering, which is our, you know, workstation engineering team and workstation support, right? And so there's a direct connection. So when they have, when they see users, you know, with really strange uh, problems that they can immediately hand it over 
Um, on the monitoring side, we, we invested in a uh, in another tool, right, to really get end-to-end service monitoring uh, going, and and end-to-end means basically measuring service quality from an end-user perspective uh, to help us, you know, get a better handle on understanding, you know, this is a systemic problem, is it an individual problem, and so we. Uh, we spent the last six months uh, to heavily uh, configure and deploy that 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 tool to help us um, better being able to get real-time data about our service health and our service quality, right? And then combine that with the service desk input. Uh, another thing we did is uh, before COVID, our user information, you know, the, 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 the information that we stored in our seem to be about users, you know, was okay, right? I mean, it had name, user ID, the usual things, but uh, we cleaned up location, right? Because location all of a sudden became important, right? Before it was it was relevant or, or very little used. Now we needed to know, is somebody in North Houston? Are they in Florida or where are they, right? Or are they in the office, right? So we had we invested a lot of energy to get that cleaned up and work with HR to, to get a location feed, right? And and uh, so we could understand, is this a remote worker? Is there in the office now, right? What device do they have? So information about the user and the asset management portion of uh, or aspect of that become, became very important to us as well. Very good, Jim. Yeah, um, I was just thinking when I was looking at this question again, that, you know, the best way to remedy an issue, an issue is to nip it in the bud with, prevention before the issue arises. So I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking one of the things I'm looking to do right now is to, uh, in my area, and I'll talk to my colleagues in some of the other IT divisions is, you know, like making sure we're doing health checks on systems. Uh, we're spending not all of our time on preventing things from happening, but actually looking and detecting. So I think that's really important, especially in the security area. Most, most of us spend a lot of time, you know, building firewalls and uh, moats and large castle walls, <laughs> but but uh, you know there it's pretty tough to avoid those types of uh, bad actors from entering in. So you have to do, you know, you do need to uh, spend time uh, actively looking, uh, seeing what's happening. Uh, but uh, you know during COVID, uh, the organization shifted and pivoted quickly with uh, you know multiple types of command centers. So I think that we're still doing that. We still uh, we have huddles uh, morning and, and, and later in the afternoon. First actually hour or two of the day is just all these various huddles and it all gets bubbled up to the <clears throat> to the higher level. So I think that's uh, I think that's been really helpful to just um, understand what are the operational and clinical issues that have the highest priority so that IT we don't get hung up on trying to fix something that's not super important because um, there's you know always going to be a lot of stuff to focus on. Um, yeah, and I think just uh, um, you know, looking. I think uh, looking towards more cloud services is something that um, we're we're doing. Uh, you know, uh, running your own data center and trying to uh, you know manage and drag along a bunch of legacy equipment. All that just it's just a lot of work, a lot of maintenance. And so I think as we move more towards a digital consumer focused kind of paradigm in healthcare, I, I think we should leverage. Uh, you know, the stability that the cloud offers. So I think, you know, some advances there are, are pretty exciting. Exciting. I'm looking forward to moving in that direction. Very good, Jim. Thank you. Miles? 
Thank you. Um, so I, I'm very happy that this question doesn't ask how do you detect it, <laughs> focusing more on the diagnostics and remedies. Uh, you know, our teams, you know, we did a couple of things, you know, very early on, we actually supplemented our service desk with a, um, a some of the smartest people that I have in IT to help triage and understand what the influx of questions are and helping to remedy, you know, those common, like, what are we missing from a user experience? You know, we're getting 50 people asking for this sort of thing to really be able to not take it as a single thing, but look at the larger picture. Um, as we've gone further on, you know, the, the, the world of issues, you know, we've got a pretty robust situation management process whereby, you know, the manager on calls getting engaged. And, you know, once we realize that something is bigger than a bread box, it's a little bit unusual, you know, we're, we're leveraging the same, you know, on-call paging platforms that we've had in the past and folks are getting into, um, you know, kind of a common WebEx is, is where we land that everybody knows and has programmed into their phone to help to get to that diagnostics of what's going on, right? You know, what are, the, what are you seeing? What are you changing? In the background, Gordon, I had a similar experience with Microsoft Teams and that I think it was February of last year, we had given it to IT and it was just my teams that were using it as a, hey, maybe this is a little bit better than one of those other tools we've got. Uh, and then within three, four weeks, it's like, and here's it is for everybody else. And that's become a very common platform for, you know, I regularly see questions, hey, something's happening and they'll cross team and ask, you know, what's going on? Is there something bigger? Um, so that's certainly helped us to get a lot faster about the the diagnostics. And then the the remedy side, uh, you know, sometimes we're able to do it remotely. You know, I, I was thinking back that, you know, probably 30 to 40% of my staff aren't even off site, right? They're still on site with the, you know, field services, walking around the hospital, making sure that the computers are up. We've got our data center teams continuing to run cables and make sure that the operations there are good. So we really leverage those guys as smart hands to to help solve some of the problems that we have so that our engineers uh, who can work 90% remote can be 100% remote and and you know they've they've had to step up their game and say you know instead of always being the guy doing and, and turning the screwdriver to say let me walk you guys through it so that's that has helped quite a bit all right very good we've alluded on the help desk and now we'll get into that a little bit more jim we're going to start with you how has your help desk team shifted with the changes in remote work and patient care? Was that team equipped to manage support tickets related to applications, EMRs, VPNs, or um, any kind of disruption? How have customer service calls from patients changed during this time compared to the calls received pre-pandemic? Yeah, uh, well, one of the things that um, we, we had issues with um, our very high call volumes. Um, we, we didn't have an IVR at the time, uh, neither on our uh, our patient contact center or on the help desk. So we, uh, and then we haven't, we weren't uh, in the early days, weren't leveraging uh, self-service. So I think there's a, you know, it was a big, ep uh, a big focus on, let's start with the basics. So, you know, password resets is an issue that, you know, it was a problem solved, you know, a number of years ago. So you know, it was a lot of work to kind of get that, uh, and that actually helped offload a lot of um, a lot of call volumes. And then, there, of course, there were issues with COVID. You know, we had uh, agent, uh, we had uh, service desk reps that couldn't be at work, so we had to leverage. You know, how do we keep the staff? How do we staff up? Uh, so right now, we're looking at you know the what we call level one, uh, using partner augmentation to fill that gap. Uh, so when we surge or when we uh, so that we can have higher uh, you know, uh, higher performance and have 
much quicker um, uh, call to answer. We had some issues with uh, call abandonment on, with our, uh, on, on the patient side with our contact centers. So also looking to implement IVR there. Uh, but, you know, with uh, initially early on, it was, uh, you know, lots of people calling anytime there was a, uh, an announcement from the state or from the federal government. So, you know, lots of surges, um, you know, really difficulty with, the, with those volumes. Uh, so, you know, we're considering moving now toward a cl uh, cloud-based contact center where we can, we can have a lot more flexibility. Um, and then just being able to flex more, I think is uh, really helpful. Very good, Miles. So our our IT help desk, you know, which is our service desk, I don't think that they had a major change. They're just getting buried with volume. Uh, but what we one of the things I do recall is the number of additional help desks we had to stand up. We ended up, you know, creating one as a COVID hotline for our human resources team, which was run 24 by 7 to say, I've got questions. What do I do? Where do I go? Um, you know, and we've had probably five or six of those that we had to staff and that we had to teach people how to be part of a ACD tree and, you know, even leveraging our, our phone technology. You know, we've got analog phones in certain cases, uh, which, you know, proved to be a problem as you try to, you know, take on some of these, you know, more complicated things. So uh, that was a, a big piece that we had to overcome. You know, we're still looking to to move forward and, and continue to evolve that as you know, that, that experience can still be better. But having, you know, folks have answers on the other side. How do we handle the, you know, call abandonment? Um, you know, we, our IT team, you know, has a voicemail box that was getting flooded that we ended up leveraging our, our data center overnight team to help with transcription to, you know, figure out, you know, who's calling and why and making sure that those got, you know, partners and questions were getting answered in a timely fashion. Um, so the, you know, the, the IT team, yeah, lots of calls, um, but our operators, right, the main hospital lines, we saw the same thing, Jim, every time the governor said anything or our name ended up in the paper for whatever reason, we, we knew it because we, our contact center was saying, yeah, our call volume spiked really high uh, and, and we're not really sure why. Uh, but I, I think the teams have done a really great job. You know, our, our contact center, we sent home and they've been able to work remotely instead of having 200 people in a room. They're all, you know, working from their houses and, and leveraging the technology. So really, you know, happy that they've seen almost no service disruption. Um, you know, there was a, a little fear, probably November timeframe, there was a big storm coming. And the, the fear being individual home internet cutting down. What happens when we have, you know, 20% of our staff who lose power or internet? Right. Where are they going to go or can we bring them back and they sit and answer the rooms? How are we going to make this work? And that was a, a little bit of excitement because all of that equipment we had in our contact center had gone home back in March. So we had to procure and deploy it and, and handle that there. So it was a bit hair raising, but, you know, I think that the teams did a, a really good job to get there. And, you know, so far, I think everybody's real, real happy with what we've done. If I can add to your comment, Miles. Um... So one of the things you mentioned, you know, the, the issue of support. Uh, so, you know, as we started moving towards self-service and, you know, getting people, we're in Epic Shop, so getting people to use Epic, uh, you know, that actually caused, uh, I wouldn't say it's an unintended side effect consequence, but, you know, that automatically increased the support calls for that. So then we had to uh, spin up actually a, um, a, a tier one tech support for our patients who, you know, so how do you use my chart? How do you get a video visit, et cetera? So um, you would think, okay, as we go to self-service, well, you know, you don't have to worry about, it, it should offload it, but there are some 
things that you do have to realize that you still have to support. And, you know, once people get used to it, I think then it's going to be a lot easier. Like we're now most of us can spin up a Zoom, you know, uh, conference and we don't need tech support because we, you know, it's kind of our computers are all set up. But that initial, thing, you know, period of time of getting everybody, you know, to initially get things set up is, you know, um, is definitely challenging. And I think that just added to the, to the stress that was going on. Gordon? Yeah, I think Miles and, and Jim already, you know, made some great points. Uh, um, you know, from, I'm not going to reiterate everything, but, you know, I would agree with, with what was said that I think the, the, the type of calls to the desk did not change, right? The volume was different and the mix was different, right? So in the, when in the past, you know, mainly problems were related to, you know, the computer in the office, all of a sudden they were dealing with, you know, my remote access is not working or my remote, you know, it's slow or the screen is, you know, somehow, you know, not moving fast enough, you know, when I'm clicking on something. But so you had different types of problems like that, that, you know, that you have heard before, but not to that extent. And so we definitely had to, you know, do some cleanup. And as I mentioned earlier, around our knowledge articles and, and the tools that we give the desk, right, to better triage this. Uh, I was I was laughing actually when when Miles was talking about, you know, we had to stand up all kinds of other call centers. I think the first three weeks of the pandemic, right, when we sent everybody home and, and this became real, I think the biggest load was on the telecom team, right. We were spinning up phone numbers, call centers, you know, like very similar, uh, um, you know, to handle all these new demands. Um, uh, one thing that we we did, which is I think a direct result of the pandemic, is all of a sudden we started talking about okay, how do we use bots? Right, bots became a thing. Right before the pandemic, it was a phone number. Right now we were like, okay, we don't have enough people you know, to answer all these phone calls, like, is there any other technology that can help us? Well, now we, we, we put all these bots up, right? Like a bots to help our customers, you know, the triage telehealth visits, a bot to, you know, to screen, you know, uh, uh, people before they come to, to a patient visit, right? So we have all these bots now and we put bots for the service desk and for a patient uh, uh, desk, right? So bots were a big, big aspect of uh, us transitioning from a traditional, let's say, server customer service model to a more digitally enabled customer service model. All right, very good. Let's go to our next question. And we're gonna start, uh, we stick with you on this one, Gordon. Uh, describe the changes you made to your architectural structure to meet the new demands. Were any of these initiatives in mind prior to the pandemic, but hastened by it? Do you see them staying in place permanently? Yes. So I was thinking about this question a lot because I think you can look at this from different angles. Um, so one thing that I think fundamentally changed at least at Texas Children's was the speed at which we were moving uh, and the speed at which we were implementing things. And with that speed and that demand for that speed, our architecture changed. Uh, I would say before COVID-19, you know, we had we had a hybrid cloud, but you know, it was not like we're still mainly an on-premise, you know, application and services shop. Uh, but then with COVID-19, the, the, the demand for business solutions, you know, rapidly increased. 
and the speed at which we were supposed to deliver increased. Um, and so we were forced to start using uh, different uh, changes, change our architecture and really start embracing cloud and you know basically use cloud as a toolbox, right? And then this, and use this toolbox to really uh, deliver business value. Um, you know, for example, right, like uh, the, we use uh, Microsoft Azure bots, right? Like, and that's a technology we, we before did not use. We needed to make, enable this and go through, you know, make it secure, make sure that we delivered, you know, this in a quick fashion. And, and so we, we adopted Agile Scrum to really start moving these solutions at a rapid pace. Um, and so we have daily scrum meetings, right, that um, with our COVID uh, team where they basically work on all different kinds of initiatives. And the majority of those are actually happening in the in the cloud, right, where we use cloud uh, such as Azure as a, as a toolbox and, and, and augment our on-premise uh, solutions such as Epic, for example. Um, Another solution that comes to mind that was accelerated greatly was Teams, right? So we were talking for years that we wanted to move from Skype for Business to Teams. Well, it took COVID-19, all of a sudden Teams was rolled out in two weeks, right? And and the business all of a sudden was like, oh, I like this. I want this, right? I like this idea of channels, being able to share all kinds of information, wrap business processes around. And so we rapidly started introducing Microsoft 365 based technologies and solutions for the business. And so do I think that this is a permanent change? Yes, I think that we're not gonna return to where we were before. As a matter of fact, I think that uh, we're we're actually starting to move this Agile Scrum rapid deployment model, um, you know, where we basically have almost tiger team type of project teams that are quickly forming, implementing, a, you know, a solution for a business problem, uh, problem and then dispersing. I think that is going to become the new normal, right? Where we, how we deliver solutions, you know, minus obviously your typical large epic upgrades and these kinds of things that require a very structured and, you know, methodical long-term approach. All right, very good. Uh, Jim? Yeah, those are good points, Gordon. <clears throat> um, yeah, I was just thinking that uh, is a good example. Um, Contact center agents, you know, if they're home using the internet, uh, that's a totally different level of uh, like, how do you get their quality of service to be the same as if they're on premise where you have, you know, on premise legacy contact center equipment that's designed to work on a network that you can control where you can't control the internet. So I think that, you know, we have to change our architecture. Uh, you know, there's definitely a more, a more drip, we're driving more to the cloud and whether it's uh, infrastructure as a service or whether it's using, you know, um, SaaS uh, solutions. But, you know, um, the old architecture is just not going to work in, you know, many ways. So I think before uh, COVID-19 for M Health Fairview, we had already been talking about, you know, moving to digital, uh, you know, having that customer experience, uh, you know, really connecting with the patient. So we did some things, uh, which I mentioned, you know, we had uh, the cloud VPN, uh, M365, et cetera. <clears throat> but we also, uh, um, I, don't, I, I think that we, uh, this obviously helped us accelerate. So now I think, you know, just fast forward to right now, I think we're talking seriously about, you know, what, you know, what needs to stay on premise uh, and how do we get out of the data center business? So it's kind of like a cloud first mantra. 
uh, where we're, where we're going to bring in something, you know, does it need to be on on premise? If not, let's look to see, you know, can it be done on the cloud? Uh, we've had to redesign our um, our, our network routing uh, instead of everything kind of being backhauled through through uh, you know that single point into our data center. You know, can we go can we go directly to the cloud? So I think that Internet Edge is an important architectural change that we've been looking at. And then just, you know, um, uh, with the increased risk of ransomware and healthcare systems getting attacked and things, you know, really looking at what are the high risks of organizations. And, uh, you know, I, I think if we've got systems that are on the Internet, they're Internet facing, they're exposed. Uh, and are they 100 percent patched? Uh, you know, if you got a, 100 servers and you do 90 percent, that's normally an A in school, A minus, <laughs> but maybe 95, you got a good solid A and 96 A plus. Right. But the four servers for the bad guys to get after, uh, you know, that's that can that can take you down completely. You know, is there encrypted data on those um, servers? Uh, are the keys encryption keys? So there's, you know, I think there's lots of things that we can look at to focus on. I'm I'm uh, thinking there might be a case. I know we've had in all of my previous organizations, we've we've uh, we've had some challenges with VDI. Uh, but you know the notion of thin clients uh, going out for uh, for our forty thousand for us um, uh, remote offices. You know, I know we have the road warriors where you're on flights and you're traveling around a lot. But you know, we basically just move people since that were sedentary at their office. Now they're sedentary in their room at home, so they actually could probably you know use VDI and thin clients. So we're looking at that, um, and uh, yeah. So I think there's um, um, lots that we can do in this space and uh, kind of excited about it. Very good, Miles. So yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing up VDI and I'll get back to it in a minute, but I'll start with the, you know, when I think of architecture, I think of our core infrastructure and I, you know, we're in the same boat that you guys are. You may be a little bit ahead of us in leveraging public cloud offerings like Azure and AWS. And we're, we're looking to move more of our stuff out there and, and get out of, you know, to some extent the data center business as a health system, right? We're, we're not great at it. Um, you know, I, I think of also the SaaS offerings and, and many of the systems that we're talking about now, we're, we're seeing a lot more SaaS being considered, you know, get it, you know, just get the whole thing out of here. Uh, I, I worry long term about the permanence of that. You know, th those systems, you know, can be very expensive and the, the cost to change, uh, you know, maybe may a little bit too much for us. So we'll, we'll see how those go. Uh, but definitely leveraging, you know, AWS and, and working with uh you know, the, the inbound software to make sure that it's going to work on those types of systems so that we're not saying, well, I got to buy a server and some hardware and it can only be a virtual system and it can't work in native cloud is, it's kind of a non-starter if, if I have a vote. Not that, not that IT always gets a vote, but, um, you know, the, the other piece of it is when I think about VDI, you know, we have, you know, we have a pretty decent footprint, right? You know, a couple thousand people on it. Um, one of the things that, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking is, you know, how much of this we're going to rewind? Um, you know, we've been pushing over the last few years of putting more and more people onto these virtualized infrastructure. And it's great for the office worker, right? You're using Word, you're using Outlook, you know, you got chat, no big deal. With more and more people needing a video camera and more and more people needing a headset, one of the challenges we're seeing is the the aggregation of you know that bandwidth and that equipment, uh, and even worse with the, you know some of the th the thin clients not being able to keep up. You know we we see that the video quality is way subpar on VDI. You know and there are techniques and tricks to to get around it, but 
you know, as we start to put all that processing power and bringing those codecs into the, the data center, is the user experience going to be the right one? And if I've got to, you know, send you home with a camera and a headset and a thin client, you know, it, we get closer and closer to saying, well, maybe a, a decent laptop or, you know, is, is about the same. And in fact, has some of those native capabilities that we're not trying to overcome, you know, a virtualized uh, hiccup. So there's a balance for me, you know, with the remote workers thinking more and more about that. But when it comes to telehealth, the, the last thing I want is for the patient to see a grainy doctor, right? I, I think that that, you know, it, it, it just, the offset on the hardware costs isn't worth it at that point, you know? Uh, the security is absolutely there. As we look at being able to say, look, if the device disappears, uh, it's a zero, uh, but I, I, I certainly, uh, I'm having an internal argument in my head right now on a daily basis, Jim, of saying what is uh, gonna be the provider device of choice, right? Because they wanna bring their own device, right? Many of them are on, you know, Macintosh, which is not our corporate standard. Uh, so they aren't on our network today, but as they, you know, they've got a $3,000 MacBook in front of them, is there a way for us to leverage that? Because it's going to have a whole lot better experience than putting them onto a zero and another thing at their desk. So uh, that one's in flux. That's still trying to figure out all the, the noodles to it. Um, so it, it, I don't know, it's it's changing still, right? And, and the next platform, you know, in six months, they may say, hey, by the way, we need HD video and it needs to be 4K to the doctor. Um, and suddenly I don't have the processing power in the data center for the, for all that. All right, Miles, we're going to stick with you here. We've seen a rise. You guys are talking about it a lot today. Rise in vendor-hosted applications in the industry, and this has been accelerated. What's your current level of engagement with vendor-hosted cloud-based applications, and how has this changed over the past year? I'd say that most of our projects kind of slowed down to a stall. If it wasn't directly related to our telehealth initiatives um, or net new feature set at all, I, I, I doubt that we adopted anything that moved from an on-prem to a vendor hosted in the last year, because that that wasn't going to be the value add. Um, we're seeing more of our, you know, the SaaS stuff, stuff being considered, right? Now that we're kind of on the other side of the vaccination and we're on the other side of the latest surge that, you know, folks are trying to figure out what is the the project in the next six, 12 months. Um, and we're, we're definitely looking at uh, moving some of our, our stuff around and trying to consolidate now that we've got four and five or six different tools that do the same thing. Or, you know, we found that this group solved the problem this way and this one solved it another way. Get them consolidated. And, you know, the, the quickest time to value is probably leveraging one that's already in the cloud and just, you know, kind of abandoning the other one so that we've got some level of standard. Um, yeah, I'll go back to the point I made a minute ago, which is these things get wildly expensive as we start to talk about enterprise, you know, 30,000 user um, licenses and that that paper person's not a big deal at 40 or 50 people but at 5,000 20,000 it uh, it gets ugly fast um, and it's hard to justify very good Gordon this is a great question um, so my team is also responsible for enterprise architecture at Texas Children's and uh, so um, I'm very familiar as to what we're seeing and uh, what seems to happen uh, over the last, I would say, two to three years, uh, there was a trend at Texas Children's that, you know, the majority of the solutions were basically SaaS, right? It was all SaaS, right? That was, there were some solutions, you know, where there's data gravity, right? For example, where they were still be in the data center, meaning, you know, like your ology applications, for example, right? Where you have lots and lots of data. 
right? Those end up still in the data center, right? So these these big legacy uh, type of applications, you know, we still see in the data center. And then we say we saw very little pass, right? And and obviously we we still were not ready for IS either. So it was basically a data center or SaaS, and the majority, like I would say, sixty percent of those were SaaS uh, solutions. Uh, I think the last 12 months have provided some shifts for us as an organization. Um, uh, so we have been working on our cloud journey started in 2016. So we've been on a journey right towards a cloud first mentality, you know, for a while, and it takes a while to get there. Um, and so with COVID and the, the, the demand for speed, right, we started like cloud became the standard, right? And, and we started thinking about actually more how do we leverage existing building blocks, right? Rather than buying more SaaS. And so what I mean by that is, right, we, we, we're starting to morph now from a, a, a SaaS shop to a development task shop, right? Using Azure solutions, right? And Microsoft 365 to basically build custom solutions that support, you know, the exact business need of our operational partners instead of going out and getting another SaaS solution that overlaps with 15 other SaaS solutions that I have to integrate on a data level, right? And it makes it all like this gigantic spaghetti type of architecture that's hard to maintain. And so we we are now actually pushing towards a, uh, you know, standardized, you know, standardization, you know, where we, you know, first we look at, can we develop it, right? If not, right, then, you know, you know, is there a SaaS solution? And if that, or, or an on-premise solution, right? and then obviously we're looking at, you know, technical requirements to kind of drive, you know, are you going to land in Azure? Are you going to land as a SaaS? Are you going to stay in the data center? Uh, and I think that model, you know, just is going to just increase, right? I think that, um, you know, the cost of SaaS, the complexity, and 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 having all these that's, you know disparate solutions makes it very hard to provide a consistent end user experience. And so, uh, consolidating that into platforms and maybe apply the eighty twenty rule in terms of functionality, you know, solves a lot of these problems. And and, and uh, we're seeing this right because we are trying to roll back our SaaS. As a matter fact, we have been on a journey for the last 12 months in the software rationalization effort. We're basically looking at all the SaaS solutions and, you know, which ones overlap, do we need all of them, which one we can get rid of, what can we migrate to something in-house developed, et cetera, to just cut down cost of IT. Very good, Jim. Yeah, um, ditto to the <laughs> Miles Accords comment. So I think once we... Uh, once the major EHR vendors um, can get their, uh, you know, production workloads running on on cloud, I think we're gonna all the tentacles that those, you know, impact with lab, radiology, everything, you know, we're gonna see a big. I think we're gonna see a big shift in that direction. So, you know, as I mentioned, we're we're also looking at <clears throat> cloud first. We we recently did a proof of concept with our um, archived uh, radiology. Uh, packs images, and that's working out really well. We just kind of moved that over to the um, to the cloud, and the performance is good, and radiologists seem to be happy. So, so I think there's definitely uh, potential, um, uh, you know, for us to continue in, in you know moving towards the the hosted or the cloud direction. All right, Jim, we're going to stick with you. We're going to do a, a lightning round of of final uh, thoughts. 
um, word of wisdom, piece of advice for uh, someone in a similar position as yours at another institution that's struggling with some of the challenges we've talked about today? What's your what's your best uh, piece of advice? Yeah, well, like really fast. There's lots of material. Um, uh, uh, HealthSystemCIO.com <laughs> has a bunch. Uh, there's uh, webinars. There's many things that we can you can do to get information from your peers on you know, how to make your situation better. So I'd say leverage your network. And I would say also just stop, look now uh, and reevaluate now that we're primarily remote, our clinicians are working remote as well as on-prem. Uh, you know, what are some of the things that you can do to return life to what we used to think as normal? Uh, so that bring the, bring the human touch back in, uh, you know, but, uh, and so I think if you can get some feedback from your staff, uh, I think we can make it a little bit more balanced and uh, a, a really joyous and happy place to work, which is our new work environment. Gordon, a quick last word. Yeah, uh, I definitely echo what Jim is saying. So uh, we'll take it maybe in a little bit different direction. Uh, a big lesson learned over the last 12 months was that uh, the art of possible is something completely different than what we thought. It was. Uh, no is not an answer, right? That's it's it's the possibilities are endless, uh, and I think you know the new agile method, you know method of you know delivering solutions is here to stay. Um, one thing that I think we learned as an organization is uh, uh, bring security on board early, right? Cybersecurity and you know protecting the data, protecting the the patient, protecting you know the organization and the staff is is a crucial aspect of of, of any kind of remote work or remote access, right? And and so having cybersecurity part of your journey right from the beginning makes that process a lot easier than bringing them than bringing them in at the end and then trying to reverse engineer, you know, cybersecurity requirements around NIST or HIPAA or any other standard. So that was it, one big lesson learned. Good advice. Thank you for that, Gordon. Miles, we're going to give you the last word. Sure. I'd say that the I'll stick with lessons learned because I think the, the, the guy that did a Good job there. So thanks to both Jim and Gordon. Uh, biggest lessons learned for me were uh, you can build a bit. That doesn't mean they're going to come. You know, it's a, a matter of communication. We've we've spun up so many different pieces of technology and there's overlap because people didn't know it existed. You know, I think the biggest thing I, you know, still struggle with a little bit is how do we give that FAQ, that, that answer to folks when they come on that this is how we solve this particular problem. Um, or these are the options available to you because I still see uh, messages through some of our surveys and you know help desk of folks folks asking questions that uh, I thought were answered you know six eight months ago how do I print remotely how do I fax remotely you know how do I get a new thing and you know it it shows to me that you know I could do a better job of making sure that my teams are you know giving those answers to our partners in a way that they're not having to you know submit a query somewhere they just know where to go all right very very good excellent conversation today uh i see jim and gordon are typing an answer so i'm not going to end the session until you get that that uh typed out uh but let's uh do our our uh, our ending here um regarding continuing education you will get um 
you can use the final slide in this deck as your certificate. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to our team, uh, Nancy Wilcox, and get back to you. Then you can go to our website for our to register for upcoming events. So with that, I want to thank our fantastic panel, Jim Brady, Miles Angel, and Gordon Groschel. And I want to thank our sponsor, Thousand Eyes, which is a part of Cisco, for making this event possible. And I want, I want to thank you, our attendees, for coming. So with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you.